Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine. We review the medical literature and we review case studies. Today's show topic is the silent hearing loss epidemic and the important role of nutrition. Our guest today is Dr. Keith P. West from the Center for Human Nutrition, Department of International Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, Maryland, and also Dr. Susan D. Emmett, MD, MPH, an otolaryngologist from the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at Johns Hopkins Medical School in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, these two individuals co-authored a paper entitled Nutrition and Hearing Loss, a Neglected Cause and Global Health Burden in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2015. And I'm really excited because this is a very different topic in a sense that people don't talk about much, and uh, hearing loss is a significant issue. So welcome, Dr. West and Dr. Emmett, for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's Thank you. a pleasure to be here. So maybe, uh, Dr. West, you can start off by just introducing yourself, and then Dr. Emmett can give a little background as well and introduction to what you do and where you come from. Sure. Uh I direct the program in human nutrition at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, as you said. My career uh, has largely been spent uh, in the developing world looking at problems of malnutrition and the health consequences of malnutrition throughout the life stages across uh, South Asia and Africa in particular. I'm a registered dietitian, however, and also spent uh, a number of years as uh, a, a U.S. Army clinical dietitian, so I have you know a diverse uh, set of interests in the field of nutrition and what the health consequences are, especially when they rise above public health thresholds. My name is Susan Emmett. I am the chief resident in the Department of Otolaryngology at Johns Hopkins. I'm a surgeon by training, but my real love is global health research having to do with hearing loss, understanding why this is such a, a large problem and there's such a big burden of hearing loss in developing countries and what we can do to prevent it and better treat it. And we're looking forward to talking more today about some of the nutritional effects that we think are contributing to this burden. So, Dr. Emmett, when did you get interested in the nutrition part of hearing loss? That really started about five years ago when I first met Dr. West. I had read some interesting articles about nutrition and hearing loss. There was very little written about it at the time. And we had a fortuitous meeting in 2011, started discussing some ideas that we had and throwing around ideas for new studies, and we've been collaborating ever since. And that was really the start of it. How about you, Dr. West? Uh, when did you become interested in nutrition and uh, hearing loss? So my portal into this area started around 1988-89 when conducting a vitamin A intervention trial in Nepal among young children. We added a question about discharging ears in children, whether they had discharging ears or not. And the reason we did that was the literature that goes back to the 20s indicating that rabbits that were vit made vitamin A deficient had a higher rate of ear infections. And knowing that ear infections are the leading cause of pediatric hearing loss uh, and doing a nutrition intervention trial, the question became obvious that we should be looking at hearing loss as an outcome of a vitamin A trial which 
we did follow up in years later and found out that, in fact, the vitamin A supplementation did reduce hearing loss associated with ear infection. So it's got a long history related to how malnutrition affects quality of life and function and what we can do to prevent those maladies through nutrition interventions. So when we talk about the populations we're talking about, are we talking about just developing countries that would have, quote, classic malnutrition, or are we talking about, for example, maybe inner cities or our aging population who may have enough calories but be have undernutrition because they're micronutrient deficient? So uh, this discussion is on kind of what side or both or, or which one? So that's a great question, and it, the answer is probably yes for all of your scenarios, but they may relate to different causes of hearing loss. So, for example, where we see some evidence emerging in the developing world is that early life malnutrition may predispose populations to a greater risk of hearing loss for different causes throughout life that reflect that early life stress. In countries such as the United States, industrialized countries where Generally, the nutritional situation has been better, but it has deteriorated in recent decades because of increased caloric intakes, increased due to fat and sugar, and a compromise in the quality of diet due to reduced intakes of fruits and vegetables, especially in poor communities. We are probably looking at a different set of exposures and mechanisms and causes, and harder to detect because the epidemiology is still evolving. I guess the question is, how did they assess the morbidity and mortality from, or morbidity from hearing loss in developing countries versus developed countries? In other words, what do we know about those situations? Are, is hearing loss getting worse in both of those scenarios or is hearing loss, what kind of public health issues are both those? Well, we do have quite a bit of evidence about the consequences of hearing loss, and we know that the consequences are quite profound and they're lifelong, particularly in hearing loss in early childhood. So children that are, that are born with hearing loss develop speech and language delays. They're more likely to demonstrate poor school performance, and ultimately it's associated with being low income, unemployed, or underemployed as adults. So it really has significant societal consequences and personal consequences. Interestingly, there's also major impacts in later life as well, as there's recent evidence coming out of Johns Hopkins by an epidemiologist in my department, actually, in otolaryngology, who has shown that Hearing loss in the elderly raises the risk for dementia, raises the risk for cognitive decline, hospitalizations, and falls. So this has consequences all the way from you know, the first days of life until the very end. So you brought a scenario in more developed countries. So this conversation we're having is both in, you said the vitamin A in developing countries was associ- might be associated with that, and then now we're talking about our own elderly in our culture? Well, it's true. So it's interesting how the the evidence that we have in both of these environments actually feed off each other. So we understand the consequences much better in developed countries because that's where those studies have taken place. But the information that's coming out on nutrition and hearing loss is mostly from developing world context. 
because it's easier to study there. It's very hard to study the role of nutrition and hearing loss in the U.S. when it's very small pockets of populations that are affected. It's easier to look at some of those questions in a developing world context. So we really have to kind of go back and forth between those two worlds and apply data from both. The other thing is, you know, the landscape of nutrition is different, but the nutrients have common functions at different, at, across different ages. So there are nutrients that have that we believe are important in terms of maintaining oxidative balance in biology. Uh, and whether that biology is occurring in early uh, infancy or fetal life or in older ages, there are certain functions there. Or they may be nutrients that are involved in controlling inflammation, guiding the development of tissue. These are nutrients that are required in small amounts throughout life at each different stage. And we typically think of malnutrition in relation to stunting growth leading to thinness or, or obesity as another form of malnutrition. But we are where we're, we're going in this discussion is that the ear is part of all that. And it is susceptible to those mechanisms that affect other parts of the body. And we just haven't made the connection. Well, let's talk about some specifics then. So what are the, let's say, the nutritional causes of hearing loss, let's say, in young children growing up? What are the key nutrients we're looking at? Or are we looking at more an inflammatory model like heart disease? Another good question. Nutrients that we believe are important in fighting infection will likely have an impact on infectious causes of hearing loss. So, for example, zinc deficiency has been related to uh, an increase of infl in inflammation and infection and been related to hearing loss in Africa. We've done a trial that showed that early you know, childhood vitamin A supplementation could reduce hearing loss, long-term hearing loss due to otitis media, some 40%, where the deficiency is, is prevalent. If the deficiencies are not prevalent, then they are not going to be causes of hearing loss. Elsewhere, there have been studies linking vitamin E and selenium and vitamin C deficiencies to sensory neural hearing loss. Iodine deficiency can be related to hearing loss because of the way that uh, the mechanisms that are involved in formation of bones and the way that the, the ear operates can be affected early in life by iodine. And so young children are not just small adults. They are forming tissues. They require proper nutrition from the time of an embryo through, through childhood. And when there is malnutrition, that can lead to inadequate amounts and types of nutrients that are required for formation and function of all of our organs and tissues. But here we're talking about the very, very sensitive and fine ear mechanisms, this can have subtle effects. And because they often are subtle, they're often not noticed. So I get the infection part that could do damage to the inner ear, and I can see where zinc and A and C and such would, would relate to that. So is there any correlation between bone loss and hearing loss? Because you happen to say bone formation, the little bones in the back of the ear or in the inner ear. Um, is there any relationship with bone loss? Yeah, there, so there is some. It's really just observational studies at this point. But there 
is a dose-response relationship between bone loss in menopausal women and their hearing thresholds. So as someone becomes more osteopenic and, and falls into the osteoporosis sort of zone with their bone mineral density, they are more likely to have hearing loss than a woman with normal bone mineral density. So it certainly has an effect. I don't know that it's as straightforward as thinking about the, the ear bones specifically, but the cochlea, the hearing organ, is encased in bone. And certainly we don't, we don't completely understand how these mechanisms work, but that could definitely have an influence. Well, you know, you you make my ears perk up because I see a lot of older patients, Medicare patients, and in our practice, we're a nutrition integrative medicine practice, and it just so happens Medicare pays for vitamin A assessment and zinc assessment, and I just got, you know, I kind of will sometimes do a just a simple vitamin panel on most many of my older patients, and I can tell you, I told the staff this, that zinc and vitamin A are frequently below the serum level ranges. I see it all the time, and probably ne- most people never measure it. So that's very interesting to me that A and zinc, and I actually, and D is low too, and so I always brought it up to the staff. You know, maybe that's the reason why there's more shingles and in the elderly, et cetera, et cetera, but it might also relate to bone loss as well. We actually think that there's an entirely separate mechanism from infection that relates vitamin A deficiency to hearing loss. There's really good animal evidence to suggest that when a mother is vitamin A deficient while she is pregnant, that the fetus actually has a cochlea that develops abnormally, and the resulting child is at risk for for sensory neural hearing loss at birth. And this is entirely different from having hearing loss that develops over a time as a result of infections. So it's just, it's another um, piece of the puzzle that suggests that these relationships are quite complex and likely involve multiple different mechanisms. So I entitled this discussion, The Silent Hearing Loss Epidemic and the Important Role of Nutrition. And I guess I might have preempted something that's not true. Is there an epidemic or is there a, a really significant health care burden? Let's talk about industrialized nations for a second. Is there really a serious problem with hearing loss? Because I see, you know, all my elderly patients seem to be getting hearing aids, you know, eventually. So is that something that's, I probably use maybe the wrong term, a silent epidemic, but is it a real health issue? Oh, I think it's a perfect term. So it's a huge health issue, and it's very underappreciated. But the most recent numbers coming out of the Global Burden of Disease study, which came out in the late fall, suggests that there are 1.2 billion people worldwide affected by hearing loss. These are new numbers. The numbers that we've seen in the past typically don't include mild hearing loss as in totals, but we believe that that should be included because it has very detrimental effects in in childhood and really all life stages. So 1.2 billion people is a lot and certainly means that it's affecting really every country and every life stage. The U.S. data that I have is is not that recent. It's from about 10 years ago, but a national prevalence study done in 2003 and 2004 suggested that 16% of the U.S. adult population is affected by hearing loss. And by the time an individual uh, reaches their elder years, their risk uh, goes up to 75%. So this is something that really touches every home. Everyone in this country knows someone who's affected by hearing loss, either a friend or a family member. 
then let's get to some practical things. We have, you know, about 10, 15 minutes left. And not that I don't care about the developing world, but for practicality, people would be listening like my patient load or public out there. What practical things can we do to prevent hearing loss from a, uh, a nutrition point of view, from a diet point of view, uh, and just maybe an environmental point of view? Can we endeavor to go there? So we can. Data, as you can imagine, are still sparse and the picture is incomplete. But the observations that we can call from existing studies that have been carried out support a nutritious diet. It sounds trivial and expected, but there are so many health problems that emerge when we divert from a a well-diversified nutritious diet over the course of our lifetime there are other perhaps more serious problems that emerge, the cardiovascular disease, the diabetes, the obesity, and so forth. I think that the part of the silence of the epidemic we're talking about is that these other problems are so dominant and apparent in the population. That mixed with age-related deterioration in hearing is part of the problem of the silent epidemic that you refer to. And so it shows like this, and efforts by investigators that are looking at these problems that are so important to bring this problem to greater attention. It is a sensory problem that affects the quality of life. And it's not a diet that changes in one day or one week or even one year probably that is going to make a difference but rather a lifestyle change that not only improves our cardiovascular system, but our hearing goes along with it. And it is subtle. It's difficult to investigate this kind of an issue, but drawing attention to it may help us all stay on a healthier diet uh, for the long run. This is a long-run diet issue. Well, explain what you consider. I mean, and I know this may sound trite, but what, explain to what you say is a, a healthful diet. Okay, so a healthful diet, according to the data that are emerging from studies with related to hearing loss, would be one that you know has a daily uh, regular intake of of a variety of fruits and vegetables, because the evidence that's emerging relates to nutrients that are involved in maintaining well balance, antioxidant balance, enzymes that are important for repairing tissues, for assuring function at every tissue level. These are these are important nutrients that come in fruits and vegetables, your colored fruits and vegetables that are so important. At the same time, there is emerging evidence related to obesity uh, and the stresses that come from obesity uh, that come from the high fat and sugar intake over a long period of time. And so it makes sense to reduce the sugar, the fat intakes uh, over a long period of time to lose weight, but that also improves the nutrient density of the diet. So uh, we're looking at multiple facets of diet here. Ultimately, a lot of the factors that go into avoiding heart disease, diabetes, obesity, these big hitters that we know are are very much diet-related are similar with hearing loss. And it's mostly because there's a lot of overlap. Obesity raises your risk of hearing loss. Heart disease raises your risk of hearing loss. 
and and uh, low activity has been noted to be associated with increased risk of, of hearing loss. So there's a lot of overlap um, between all of these all of these areas. Is there any specific micronutrients that have been used in you know clinical trials to improve hearing loss? Let's say in an elderly population or you know more developed country population. So that's a good question. Uh, our inability to answer your question clearly reflects the scarcity of this <laughs> Yeah, I get it. We have done one of the few randomized trial follow-ups, and that had to do with uh, vitamin A supplementation in early childhood and looking at uh, hearing loss risk as young adults in that cohort. That was a very different context, though. That was in Nepal, where vitamin A deficiency is endemic. So we really are in a state of observation, but careful observation leads to very well-defined questions uh, that can be answered in future trials. Without the observations, we will not ask the right questions and the right studies will not get done. It's probably reasonable to assume that the changes that would occur with changes in diet are uh, indeed subtle and long-term. And we do not know yet the what is called the etiologically relevant period, the period o- over which a change in nu- nutrient intake and dietary intake would lead to the kinds of changes in the in the ear that can cause hearing loss. We don't we don't know that time period right now. Uh, it's probably not a day, a week, or a month. You know, but one might think that over a course of years, that protecting your hearing through diet is a reasonable approach to total health. It, would it be fair to say that if you consume a nutrient-dense dietary pattern that keeps your cardiovascular risk factors very low, your diabetic hemoglobin A1C blood sugar very low, and your normal body weight, that that would be a diet that would be more protective of aging hearing loss or, or progressive hearing loss? Would that be fair to say? In our current state of knowledge, that is a fair and prudent prescription for uh, preventing hearing loss, I think. And from what we currently know, the data that are out there in large cohort studies would be consistent with what you just said. Can we just spend a couple seconds, and I know this is not, not totally on the topic, of environmental factors that can affect hearing loss. So obviously, extra noise. But how about things like cell phones and, and ele- electromagnetic you know, wavelengths going through your brain all the time. Well, is there any data on that? I haven't seen any data on that, but I, I do know that the, um, the impact of noise is changing in our culture, um, and it's mostly due to the prevalence of headphone use now. That is very different from, say, 30 or 40 years ago, and it's yet to be known exactly how that will change Uh, hearing thresholds, particularly in our young people, but common sense would say and the the evidence that we already have would suggest that this is going to increase prevalence of hearing loss. Um, We know that exposure to loud noise and exposure over long periods really increases your susceptibility um, in the short term, and it's often very subtle. It's it's hearing loss that we actually can't detect on our standard hearing test until it's much later down the road. Um, we have some experimental tests that will show us that we are 
that even with just a, a short burst of a very loud noise, we lose hair cells in our cochlea that will never return. So it's a big deal. And the environmental um, effects of noise are not something that we should discount. So, Dr. Emmett, I have a, a confession. I, I played in rock bands uh, <laughs> all through my childhood, and uh, I, my wife does not think it's so subtle. She, she thinks I'd never hear what she says. Sometimes selective hearing also comes into play. <laughs> Let me ask, can I ask one more question that's similar to that, and that be to um, Dr. Emmett. If you have chronic inflammation or allergy in the, the eustachian tube in the inner ear area where you're creating inflammation and it, you know it's swelling the eustachian tube or you have extra serous fluid uh, behind the ear, is if that happens chronically, for whatever reason, food, environment, whatever, is that a risk factor for hearing loss? It is. So there's multiple kinds of hearing loss. And having fluid behind the eardrum, what we call a middle ear effusion, uh, is a risk factor for hearing loss over time. It's not the nerve type of hearing loss that we've often been referring to during this interview. It's, um, it's called conductive hearing loss and has to do with the ability of our ear to transmit sound from the outside world into the cochlea. But it certainly has an impact. And inflammation is one of those things that we still, we have so much to understand with that and hearing. We know that free radicals and oxidative reactions happen in the cochlea, and then that can cause nerve, sensory neural hearing loss. Uh, but we don't really understand the how, when, and why. But we do know that inflammation is involved in, in multiple kinds of hearing loss because it's involved in atherosclerosis and other um, conditions that raise your risk for hearing loss. And so the answer is yes in many ways. It's just we really need more data. I guess another, another area of the environment are ototoxic uh, exposures, drugs, mm -hmm. heavy metals that can affect uh, hearing loss over time. Absolutely. Lead, cadmium, and others, uh, other metals that may be affect may affect hearing and presumably drugs as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. There's there's a, a lot of ototoxic drugs out there, and we we're actually much more careful about that in the United States than than in some other countries. But it can have a a profound effect on your hearing and can be permanent. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time. Do you have any closing comments, either one of you or both of you, on uh, the subject of hearing loss and nutrition? Yes, I think this is, um, probably we both do, this is a, an exciting time to be talking about this topic because connecting in the same sentence hearing loss with uh, poor nutrition is relatively new to do at a public health level. And so it's important to bring this joint problem of malnutrition, excess or deficiency, and hearing loss into juxtaposition and start to look at these, uh, these problems together. And that has, that has real meaning because we've never been closer to being able to assess hearing loss in populations uh, outside of the audiology clinic than today. Uh, and Susan has been, Dr. Emmett has been doing a lot of work in looking at what possibilities exist, especially in poor societies, where you can bring the assessment to the people that need to be assessed. And from a nutritionist point of view, we need to be putting 
hearing loss into our research that as an outcome of nutrition intervention so that we can better evaluate the impact of improving nutrition on this very silent but common problem that affect uh, that affects society. I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that even though this is a topic that is not frequently discussed, hearing loss affects nearly all of us. And it affects every life stage, from young mothers who are expecting have to think about their nutritional intake and how that relates to hearing loss. Young children who are susceptible to infections are at, are at great risk for hearing loss, and that has lifelong effects. It has in, uh, economic impacts in adulthood. It has effects on uh, cognition in, in older adults. And so whether we're thinking about individuals in the U.S. or in Europe or we're thinking about uh, rural villages in Nepal, this is a really important public health issue that warrants further attention. Well, I want to thank both of you. That was great. You know, it seems to me that we just, that we raise the issue. And I think one thing I can tell in the practical world to a patient is, you know, if you're eating a, a whole food diet that's going to help prevent heart disease, diabetes, and keep you lean, then you're probably doing a pretty, taking a good step forward in, in helping reduce your risk to at least degenerative type. That's right, Kirk. I think, you know, the ear is part of our body, and, it, and if you're protecting your health, you're probably protecting your ears. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dr. West, and thank you, Dr. Emmett, for coming on the show today. I greatly appreciate it and taking time out of your busy, busy days. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I would like to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today show. And remember, uh, below the um, podcast, there is always links to the actual article in PubMed. And I'll have a little summary and links to how to contact uh, Dr. Emmett and Dr. West if you care to. And uh, until next time, stay and be well. <laughs>